Good morning. The first part of the reading today comes from James 1, 26 to 27. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And then James chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a very small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My dear brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you and uh, good morning, everybody. Um, my name's Mark, as you might have heard before. Uh, welcome to those of you joining us online. Uh, right before we get into this, uh, the title of the sermon is Words Count, and uh, James is a um, very uh, confusing person to read, uh, so don't be afraid if you've uh, been slightly lost in the reading. Thank you for the reading, by the way, beautifully read. It's pretty sobering, though, as I think you'll find, and uh, therefore I'm guessing that about 10% of you here will be thinking... I need to hear this sermon. The other 90% of you are thinking, I know somebody here who needs to hear this sermon. Uh, We all need to hear this sermon. James is writing, as we heard at the end of that talk, to people who have been cursing each other whilst at the same time praising God. And he says, this cannot be. Anybody here who feels that they've never done that, um, please stand up. James' audience would also be very familiar with the warnings from Proverbs when it says, when words are many, sin is unavoidable. Some of you are feeling rather smug right now because you're introverts and you, your words are very few. And, uh, and so I just want to tell you a little story about last week. I was uh, fortunate enough to be visiting my daughter and my son-in-law last week uh, in New York. And then we traveled up to Nantucket, the beautiful island of Nantucket, 
where old money America takes its vacations. It's very genteel. It is the Ivy League of preppiness, if you like. Uh, last week, the First Lady, for instance, was visiting while we were there. She didn't come to see us, most, most unfortunate. But we were there with the family, and it was a delight to get to know uh, my daughter's family. My um, mother-in-law is a sophisticated New Yorker, uh, and the rest of us there are a bit of a ramshackle of mongrels, German, Scandinavian, Colombian, African-American. Most of them live in New Jersey, and then there was me from the Northeast, from Hartlepool. And uh, it was a bit like Jersey Shore meets Geordie Shore. <laughs> Now, uh, in, the, in the earlier service, we're, we're a bit behind the times at the nine o'clock, so I had to explain that it's a telly program. And then I had to explain what the telly was. It's, a, it's, a, it's like the wireless, but it's got pictures. And then they got it, okay? But uh, you, you guys are all up to date, so... Uh, but what you will know about that program is everybody is loud and extrovert. And, uh, and so were most of us on Nantucket, on the beautiful island of Nantucket. There we were. Um, and so, throughout the week, many opinions were offered, many verbal indiscretions were passed, many social faux pas were made. And then, the most quiet of us, the most demure of us, the most introvert of us, after a week of enduring uh, criticisms from uh, one member of the party, said in a loud voice, Will you shut up? She wasn't quite as polite as that, actually. She used the, the New Jersey equivalent of that phrase. And then she went quiet. And we all went quiet. My point is that it's not about the quantity of the words that we use, whether you're an introvert using few words or you're an extrovert who's talking all of the time we can all harm with our words. James has said already in the first chapter, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If you've been following the series, you'll, you will know that Sam spoke last week on the subject of faith and works. How our works display and complete the faith that God has put within us. Faith and works working together in partnership to create true religion. That's what James calls it in this passage. He calls it true religion. So in this passage, verse 26, he summarizes the problem of the tongue. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues. They deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. The tongue undermines, can undermine our religion, making it worthless. And then in the next verse, he defines what true religion is. It is looking after widows and orphans. It's those works that we've talked about, those works that we add to our faith make true religion. But even that can become polluted 
by our words. Woe is me, cried um, Isaiah, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. His words have been polluted by the people around him in the world, and his words are polluting the good religion that is in him. If we wanted to summarize this, we often summarize James by saying, faith without works is dead, but religion with unbridled words is worthless. Let's get into this. Chapter three of James opens with a promise. Verse two, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Well, that sounds good. Control your words and then you will have complete self-control over yourself. And he uses the illustration of um, two of the biggest things in his day. The biggest animal that they would have known in first century Palestine was the horse. And he explains how a horse can be directed by that small bit in its mouth and holding onto the reins. He explains how a boat, the biggest thing on the ocean at that time, a boat can be steered by that very small rudder. And James likens those, the bit and the rudder to the tongue directing our body. It's interesting, um, I think not unrelated, that at Pentecost, the first manifestation of the Spirit coming was that the Spirit took hold of people's tongues and they began to speak in new languages. Later, Paul explains that if we speak with a tongue, we build ourselves up. We affect ourselves. We affect our bodies. We affect our very inner self, our very core. All very good news. Then James goes all weird on us and he completely changes direction. Verse five, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a single spark. Now, as we know this summer, we're now into very dangerous, destructive, and threatening thoughts. Fire. There is no good in a forest in having fire. And we know that the tongue, it says in Proverbs, the tongue has both the power of life, which we've discussed, and death. The tongue has the power of life and death. I spoke last year on a different topic, but mentioned Caroline Flack. She uh, was the Love Island host who took her own life after receiving uh, vitriolic criticism online. The tongue has the power of life and death. In verse six, he continues, the tongue is a fire a world of evil. It corrupts the whole body. It incinerates the whole course of your life and is itself set on fire by hell. 
And later he speaks about a restless evil, it being a, a full of deadly poison, a venomous serpent. Now what does that remind you of? It reminds us of Satan, the serpent, the liar, the killer. In Matthew 16, when um, uh, Jesus is predicting his arrest and death, Peter takes him aside and says, never, Lord, he says, this should never happen to you. And Jesus' response is, is very surprising. He turns to Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. Is he speaking to Peter? Surely not. He's speaking to the words that Peter has uttered. He's speaking to Peter's tongue. Get behind me, Satan. The, the tongue is a venomous serpent. You see, our tongue is really, it betrays our heart. I've spoken how our tongue can speak to our hearts, but it also betrays our hearts. Whatever is in our hearts will eventually come out through our words. You cannot hide that. It is a window into the very core of ourselves. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks, says Jesus elsewhere. Your mouth will betray what's in your heart, for out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. Now, none of us would like there to be an open window onto our heart, but the tongue can be just that. It gets worse. In verse 7, James now compares the tongue itself to a wild animal. No longer controlling a wild animal, but itself is a wild animal. All kinds of birds, animals, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. No human being can tame the tongue. Isn't that a contradiction of what he just said? Taming our tongue means taming our heart. And no human can do that. Only God can do that by his grace and by his spirit. It's the work of faith in our lives that tames our hearts, tames our tongues. But James is not asking us to tame our tongue. He's asking us to bridle our tongue. There's a huge difference. I will explain. Now, against my better judgment, I have often been, not often, three times actually, I have been horse riding three times in my life. Um, and inevitably, when we get to the stable, all of my friends will be given lovely ponies to ride and etc. But they take one look at me, and they've been doing this since, the age, since I was the age of 13. They say, ooh, you're a big lad. 
Oh, I know. We'll give you Old Ned. Okay. Old Ned. I can only say it in an American accent, sorry. Old Ned, he's big. Oh, he's big. But he's gentle and he's calm. Now, what they never tell you, though, is that Old Ned has done this trial, trail a thousand times before. Now he's been put out to the paddock and he spends his days eating carrots and sugar lumps. Who wouldn't be big and gentle and calm? But again, what they fail to tell you is that Old Ned is the equine equivalent of Mike Tyson. There's a beast inside there. And the last thing this beast wants is for 240 pounds of inexperienced rider on its back. They also fail to tell you that Ned can smell fear. And so I will get on the horse. And Ned is untamable. If Ned wants to eat the grass, he'll eat the grass. If Ned wants to go up the steepest part of the slope, so where he knows riders normally fall off, he will go up the steepest path. He will, he will walk too close to the fence so that I crush my feet in the stirrups. Old Ned can never be tamed. But he can be controlled, just about. Even an inexperienced rider can do that. And so it is with the work of reforming or taming our hearts. That is God's work. It's a work of faith. It's a work of grace. But the work of bridling our tongue, that is ours to do. As I mentioned, Peter had an early lesson in this, uh, in his Christian walk. And later at the end of his life, um, if we put up to Peter now, Later, at the end of his life, he gives some advice um, to those, to his followers. And he says this, his divine power, that is God's divine power, and he's defined that before as being the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That same power has given us everything we need for a godly life. And then he says something very surprising. Therefore, Make every effort. Hasn't God done it all? No. Make every effort to add to your faith a number of things, including self-control. And as we've seen, there's no better place to start than with the tongue. If we want self-control, we're told it begins with the tongue. For if you possess these qualities, like self-control, in increasing measure... They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, possessing things like self-control will make us, in, sorry, in increasing measure will make us uh, effective and productive. The tongue can disqualify our religion, but adding self-control to us uh, make sure that we're not made ineffective. This is the antidote to being ineffective. Therefore, he says, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. 
God's work is to change our hearts, his divine power. Our work is to tame our tongues by bridling them, sorry, by bridling our tongues. Your tongue is a raging fire, a deadly serpent. Your tongue is old Ned. What I commend you to do is to begin today to start to bridle, put tight reins on your tongue. If you slip, don't give up, keep going. If you're somebody who makes a thousand mistakes a day with your words, try and improve just once, and then the next day, twice. If you do this with increasing measure, you will make yourself productive. Keep a tight rein on your tongue. Now, there are some of you here who are um, very grateful for the advice about speech, um, but you say, you know, I actually know nothing of this faith, this life-changing faith that you've spoken of, and it all seems a bit alien and impossible. If that's you, let's look at verse 2 together. James says, we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Why would he make those two contradictory statements in one verse? Other than the fact he's James, of course. We all stumble in many ways, but anyone who's perfect keeps their whole body in check. James is looking at us all and saying we all stumble. But he's also looking at his brother. His brother, uh, his natural brother was Jesus. And James grew up with Jesus, seeing a man who never stumbled, who never used his words incorrectly. If we want our hearts changed, we need to come to the one who can change our hearts. And Jesus is God's substitute for us, put in our place. If that's you and you've never experienced this life transforming faith, then just come and see us at the end. Come and see one of us or join our Alpha course. We'll be starting one in the new season and we'd love to see you there. Keep a tight rein on your tongue. Amen.